eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to you want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit HelloAlma.com slash Therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's HelloAlma.com slash Therapy30. Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 81618 after 131 pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speeds after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit and 3 activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums, use rules, and restrictions apply. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl. Cause we're Hello and welcome Miami to Fit Insider Radio. This is MC Money. I'm joined by Houts and D. Houtstradamus and certain the creepy soccer dad and the Dolphins are coming off a big win against the New York Jets this past Sunday. A huge divisional game where the Dolphins seemed like they had no hope early on in the game. They're coming back though to win 31 to 28, down by seven at the end of the first quarter. Another seven uh, at, going into halftime. Then the Jets put up seven coming out of the gate in the third quarter. And then the Dolphins score 17 unanswered points in the fourth quarter bringing them to a win. We're going to recap all of that, Sutton and House. But one important note as we head into Thursday night's matchup against the Baltimore Ravens, and if you're listening to this on Thursday morning, well, that's good. If you're listening to this on Friday, well, then you'll see how right we were when we were breaking down the Ravens matchup. If you listen to this on Saturday and Sunday, you'll again see how right we were. And, yes, we are taping it this week. This is not live. Uh, we are trying a new format in terms of – trying to get our sound quality better. So we do hope that the sound quality here on this podcast works better than it has with the other uh, server and that we will continue this format if all works out and other ones to come. So Sutton and House 3128, as I just mentioned, 
But I think the Dolphins might have a quarterback controversy on their hands. Thoughts on that? Matt Moore or Jay Cutler? If Jay Cutler's healthy in two to three weeks because of the fact that he got hurt, cracked his ribs, originally they thought their injury uh, may take four to six weeks, but now they're saying, hey, he can come back in two to three weeks. What are your thoughts, House? Uh, for me, I mean, you touched on it last week. This could have been Adam Gase's uh, ultimate plan all along to start Cutler. Once something happened to him or he went down, uh, it was time for Matt Moore to step up. So is there a quarterback controversy? I'd say depending on the way Matt Moore plays, if he continues to do what he did at the end of that Jets game, I mean, there should definitely be a quarterback controversy. You heard the fans. They were chanting for Moore last week. I mean, they did the same thing last year when Tannehill was the starter. But I think Matt Moore has all the tools. I think he could have been the guy heading into this year. I understand why Gase wanted to get someone familiar with his offense, a guy that he was close to. But uh, depending on the way that Matt Moore plays, if, if he does what he did la at the end of last season, if he does what he did at the end of that Jets game, I definitely think there would be a quarterback controversy when Cutler is all Now, it's funny because when you look at the stats uh, between Jay Cutler and Matt Moore, you would think that, well, it was kind of the same thing. Jay Cutler, 16, uh, uh, I'm sorry, 12 of 16 for 138 yards, sacked twice. One interception quarterback rating of 114.1. Matt Moore, 13 of 21, 188 yards, only 50 more. Sacked once, uh, one less than Jay Cutler. Two touchdowns, same as Jay Cutler. One interception, same as Jay Cutler. Quarterback rating of 102.9. That's about 11 points less than Jay Cutler. But, I mean, when you look at those stats, you're like, okay, I mean, what was the difference in the game if you didn't watch the game at all, right? What was the difference? I mean, they were the same, the same people, same stats, basically. The Dolphins must have not dropped off much. It must have just been a bad, you know, bad place by their offense, not able to get points on the board in the third quarter, then finally turning it on in the fourth. But if you watch the game, you notice something completely different. You notice the energy. You notice the excitement level. You notice the uh, pace of play. You notice the sense of urgency with Matt Moore in at quarterback. And, so, and what are the things that you notice between the players on the field and the players in the huddle? And one point, you know, I want to make before you begin is that Matt Moore was consistently getting out of the huddle with 15 to 20 seconds left on the play clock. We know that Jay Cutler was getting out of the huddle with about 10 seconds left on the play clock, thus limiting his time to make adjustments at the line of scrimmage and really evaluate the defense. And what else did you notice? I think that's an important caveat there because when Matt Moore is able to break the huddle with 15 seconds left, we can make more pre-snap adjustments at the line of scrimmage. And we saw a couple plays earlier in the season with Jay Cutler when they're getting up there, hiking the ball with two one seconds left, and that really allows a defensive line to time the snap that much better uh, than when the uh, – Shot clock. That's not the word I'm looking for. We're not playing basketball. The play clock. So when the play clock has more time on it, the defense can't predict the snap count as well as when there's one second left. They know the ball is going to be snapped immediately. So it was interesting to see Matt Moore making some more adjustments at the line of scrimmage. And, I mean, let's face it, he has more command over this offense. He's been in it longer, so he knows it better. So to have a well-versed quarterback under center know this offense and have time at the line of scrimmage, we can make some adjustments. Now, with that being said, there were times he could make some adjustments and didn't do it. I have to say that I thought that both quarterbacks played at a pretty high level. Um, 
against the Jets there. Obviously, there are the interceptions. Uh, you want to eliminate those, obviously. But both quarterbacks, they were put. They they're able to push the ball down the field, which we haven't been able to see with any consistency throughout the year. And you saw in the first drive, Jay Cutler had make multiple twenty yard completions. And then you saw when Matt Moore, after the first drive, which looked a little shaky, once he got his feet under him, you saw the ball getting down the field too. Made the big play to Kenny Stills with the the first touchdown to to narrow the margin down to a seven point deficit. And you just saw, like you were saying, guys, what you're alluding to, you just saw a little bit more energy. And it's you're not really sure how to read into that if it's just a Gase team in the fourth quarter knowing that their back's against the wall and that's what they live for, or if it was because of the quarterback change. But you did notice body language changes, a little bit more fired up just in general. So you, you, you saw kind of an awakening there, and then that's when you really felt good about how the offense was going going forward. And you mentioned it, Adam Gacy. I'm going to touch on that in just a second, but I do want to just make a few notes about Matt Moore and Jay Cutler. So Jay Cutler entered week seven with an overall PFF grade of 66.6. Uh, guys, he was the 32nd ranked quarterback in the league. Um, there are 32 teams in the NFL. So I'm going to say that 32 out of 32 is not good. And so he, he was down towards the bottom of the league, but we did see signs of him turning things around just a bit against the Titans the previous week. We wanted to see if it would carry over this game uh, with the Jets. Cutler was forced to leave the game after suffering broken ribs. And Matt Moore then came in and it helped lead a 14 points. Fourth quarter comeback. And he picked apart the Jets defense when he faced pressure, completing 10 of 13 passes for 116 yards and one touchdown for an NFL quarterback rating of 129. Now, he will be the starter as the Dolphins take on the Ravens on Thursday night. If he plays well against the Ravens, then we all know the trouble that the Dolphins have had with the Ravens. If he plays well versus the Ravens, then again versus the Raiders on Sunday night football, I think it's going to be very hard for Adam Gase to reinsert Jay Cutler back into the starting lineup as the starting quarterback. I mean, we all as fans kind of see and wanted to see Matt Moore. And I know we talked about how it's not all Jay Cutler's fault. But I alluded to this last week on the show where I said that can it be possible where players will play harder for one quarterback over the other? And I think it's evident, guys, that we saw that. I think it was very evident that we saw that on Sunday when Matt Moore came into the game. And the Dolphins now winning 13 of their past 17 regular season games. Their 13-4 and four mark in the past 17 games is the third-best record in the NFL behind the Kansas City Chiefs, who are 14-3 and three in their last 17, and the New England Patriots, who are also 14-3. and three. More outstanding is the team has accomplished this despite starting three different quarterbacks in that span, Ryan Tannehill, Matt Moore, and Jay Cutler. And the last time Miami won 13 of 17 regular season games was from October 28, 2001, to October 13th, 2002. So certainly some momentum going into the Ravens game on Thursday. They're traveling to Baltimore. They left today on the airplane, and today being Wednesday. And we will see. It's, it's going to be a tough matchup because the Ravens, despite their record this year, despite their troubles, are a good football team still. And Joe Flacco is still a decent quarterback. He's certainly struggled this year. 
Their offensive line is a little bit of a mess. They do have the worst rushing defense in the league. As Adam Gates said in this press conference, they do have some very talented players. So we're going to break down the Ravens in just a bit, but it does seem they have some momentum going forward, and, and we'll uh, go into that in just a bit. But let's go back to the Jets game for just a few minutes and talk about the opening drive here where the, uh, Josh McCown picked apart the Dolphins' defense. And if you listened to this show last week, you would have heard that I said that Josh McCown loves to always look downfield, loves to attack, and loves to find the guy that's open with the big play, and he certainly did that. Starting off with the game right away with a um, you know screen pass to Blau Powell for I think it was 31 yards, and then another short left uh, to Matt Forte for 13 yards, and then he shoots a deep pass to Jermaine Curse up the right sideline over Cordria Tankersley head for 29 yards a touchdown. Dolphins come right back, though, which is huge, and they uh, start off the drive, their, their offensive drive, with a pass to Julius Thomas for 25 yards. Jay Ajayi is still struggling at the line of scrimmage, trying to get past that line. Sutton tweeted a photo and a video of Ajayi getting zero yards but spinning out of multiple tackles behind a line of scrimmage but doing all that work just to get back to the line of scrimmage. But then Jay Cutler deep pass to Kenny Stills, an amazing acrobatic catch. Pension for the catch of the year. And then another short pass to Jarvis Landry for the touchdown. So that kind of set the theme for the game, Sutton. And, and what were your you know, reactions as you saw them go through the first half in terms of trading shots on offense and the Dolphins' defense just getting gashed? Yeah, the, the first half was a little bit sloppy. You, you saw some penalties in there. You saw Pouncey get a couple penalties in the first half. Saw a couple of drops. So that was a little bit deflating. You saw the kind of fluke play with Cutler when he throws it it gets batted up 25 feet in the air and just lands softly uh that's arms and of course they have it at the one yard line and punch it in for a score so there was some Dolphins plays you know those obscure plays that just seem to pop up and affect us good plays on offense that you weren't able to see in some of the previous games and again like we said earlier they were pushing the ball down the field now, despite the fact that we weren't able to establish Jay Ajayi in this game, we were taking advantage of the fact that they are putting eight, nine people in the box and can in on the run. So when you're able to open up the field like that, it does wonders for this offense. And then on the flip side, on defense, like you said, they were either throwing a screen around the line of scrimmage or they were attacking us down the field. And you saw Cordrea Tankersley have his kind of welcome there where he got picked on a couple times in the first half got caught with two different touchdowns so hopefully he will dissect the tape and learn some things there when i saw matt burke's transcript from his uh press conference he was asked about that second touchdown play and what he said was it was kind of a miscommunication that Tankersley was playing an outside coverage, and it's almost exactly the same thing that happened with Xavier Howard in the previous week when I you know, was arguing with our PFF guy, Ryan. He was playing an outside coverage, and you know that he was expecting help. What Matt Burke cleared up for us is that, yes, he was playing that way, and that's what he thought that way, but that's not necessarily the right thing because there was not the proper communication before the snap. So if he told Rashad Jones that he was going to be playing outside, Rashad may have played that coverage differently. But because there wasn't communication, Rashad's going to be Rashad, and he's going to be aggressive. 
So he went to the outbreaking route. They had the post behind it. Tankersley playing outside coverage couldn't get there in time, and that's when they got to the fourteen point mark with the Jets. So, like I said, hope hopefully Tankersley can clean that up. But first half, we were down, I believe, twenty one fourteen going into the going into the second half. So I, I felt decent, to be honest with you. I didn't like that we gave up one points, but I saw that our offense was sustaining some drives and scoring some points. So, and I knew we were getting the ball back in the second half. So I thought we were going to be able to equalize things quickly. And Sutton, great points there. And you focused more on the offensive side of the ball a little bit and then also talked on the defense. And at one point where you said Matt Burke said the defense was lined up incorrectly on the two screen passes. One other thing, Houts, I noticed about the defense is – and I texted you guys this during the game, or I put it uh, somewhere. I think I texted you guys this during the game, or I maybe put it into our Twitter chat. But or I tweeted it. I tweeted it. I can't remember. That's how drunk I was. I wasn't drunk. Just, <laughs> had like you just one. have you have two you, you kids drunk. and you're busy. I, I had two beers, so I was drunk. You were wasted. <laughs> yeah. 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 No. I, I said that. I said that the defense a lot of the players were forming into bad habits and they were all trying to be the hero. They were all trying to make the play. They weren't disciplined enough. They weren't staying in their gaps. They weren't staying in their coverage. And especially Kiko Alonso was the biggest culprit. We saw him numerous times getting out of his lane, getting out of his gap and just trying to run straight towards the action without properly diagnosing the play. House, did you notice any of this? And they did settle down in the second half. Uh, more towards the end of the third quarter there where after that touchdown where we saw Kiko, who should have stayed in his coverage in the back of the end zone, come forward because of McCown running out of the pocket. After that drive, it seemed like they settled down. But how did you notice any of that that I was seeing from the defense? Yeah, absolutely. I have to agree with you 100%. You could tell the defense, they were playing, they were a little over aggressive. You saw with the pass rushers, the linebackers, like you mentioned, they were just over pursuing, not staying in their lanes, not doing what they were taught to do. And you saw those screenplays one after another. They just seemed to keep getting those huge yardage. And as being, as a, being a Dolphins fan, I mean, we see us running screens every week and we just never, ever had the kind of success that we saw. And I think one of those plays was a crucial one. I think it was third and 19 and they, they ran a screen pass and he just broke, I, I believe it was almost seven tackles for a first down. I mean, that's just not something you want to see out of your defense. So, so I absolutely agree with you. I think the Dolphins could have played better. They could have stayed in their lanes more and, and did more of what they did in the first few games opposed to what they did on Sunday. So hopefully they can fix those mistakes and continue to be the the force that they've been early in the season. So there were numerous uh, lowlights for the Dolphins defense, which we kind of touched on there in terms of missed tackles, and especially that third and 19 play. Matt Burke said the Dolphins missed about 10 tackles on that play. So it was really something to watch, and you could just see it just watching there. And just, oh, my God, you know, what was going on? Jordan Phillips was trying to strip the ball, and it could have had it easily had him down 10 yards before the line of scrimmage. And it was just dumb football on the parts of several Miami Dolphins players. But there were many highlights. Cameron Wake was once again the highest-graded player on the defense, earning a grade of 84.4, which ranked third of all edge defenders for Week 7. Wake has recorded a quarterback pressure every 6.01 pass rushes since entering the league. 58 players have at least 3,000 pass rush snaps since 2006, and Wake's ratio is at the top of that list. Jetsy recorded three sacks, six total pressures on just 18 pass rush snaps, 
and for the season has recorded 29 total pressures and just 142 pass rush snaps. And he is an elite pass rusher in the league at 35 years old. That is absolutely tremendous. And there is no doubt in my mind that he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer when his time comes. Now, previously on Finside Radio, we talked a lot about Xavier Howard, right? And how, and I posed a question on Twitter, is he a bust? And I admitted after, you know, our conversation with Ryan Smith and talking to him a little more off the show and on Twitter through private message, you know, maybe my term of bust was a bit too strong for Xavier Howard. And it should have been more, he's just more inconsistent than he is a bust. So, you know, for me, I, I went back and looked at the tape and I, and I realized that I was using too much, too much, uh, I want to say hyperbole, but I'm not sure if that's the right word for this situation. I was exaggerating a little too much, not intentionally. I wasn't looking for a reaction, but it was, you know, just more of me not doing my full homework on that situation. During the Jets game, he was targeted four times. He allowed one catch for six yards, and that is great uh, for Xavier Howard. He did miss a tackle early in the game, and that brings his total to five missed tackles on the season. And last season, he had six missed tackles and 582 snaps compared to 360 this year. So he does have a few more or on pace to uh, beat that. However, he has committed just one penalty the last three weeks after being called for four in the first three games. So I don't want to spend too much time on this because we spent a lot of time on that last week. But it does look like Xavier Howard, can he maintain this consistency? That is the biggest question. Any other thoughts on the Jets game, boys, before we head on over to the Ravens matchup on Thursday evening? You saw Rashad Jones miss tackle against Matt Forte earlier. Uh, very first drive, I believe, uh, where he got maybe a 15, 20-yard play there. So have to get the tackles shored up, definitely, uh, because going playing against a team like Baltimore, they're a sound football team. Yeah, they're having – perhaps a down, down year for Baltimore standards, uh, but we know they're going to be physical. And so we have to match that physicality. If we're not tackling well, we're obviously not going to be able to do that, and it's going to be a longer game for us. So make the tackles when they happen. So depending on when you're listening to this podcast, if you have a beer in your hand, a coffee, some water, please take a drink of it right now for Cam Wake and the way that he's been playing for our football team. And I'd also like to give a cheers clink clink of the glass to Bobby McCain who made a huge play. It's one that's not being talked about very much, but he got that interception when I thought we were going to overtime. I thought there was no doubt we were going to overtime. No way the Jets screw this up. And what was it? The second play of the drive, they throw a pick to Bobby McCain. He makes the play. We get him field goal range and we win the game. So kudos to Bobby McCain for making that play. That was a huge play at a huge moment for the Miami Dolphins, obviously. It goes without saying because it put them in the position to win the game. But what are the Jets thinking? I mean, Todd Bowles, man. First of all, Todd Bowles needs to get a new outfit on the sideline. That dude always is wearing that windbreaker <laughs> uh, short sleeve. It's chilly in Jersey. Whether it's 25 degrees or 95 degrees in Miami, dude, get a new wardrobe, please. It's terrible. Um, that would drive me crazy if I was a fan. Just because, you know, <laughs> and it's not, it's, not, it's not fun. Anyways, but what are you thinking, man? You're, you're playing on the road, 48 seconds left. I know you got two timeouts. The Dolphins' defense has bared down since you scored in the beginning of the third quarter. 
and you haven't been able to really move the ball much on them. I mean, any smart coach, I think, would say, let's let's run the ball, try to get some yardage. If we get a few, if we get some, you know, past the first down marker, then let's start throwing. But to think that the Jets would do that, I mean, it's the Jets, so I'm not surprised at anything. But, but man, it, I mean, it was a 15 year veteran at quarterback, though. So I don't, you know, if it was a rookie or somebody younger, you might have a little bit more benefit of the doubt for that. But for someone like McCain, who's been in this league forever, I don't know. That seems unforgivable to me, but I'm glad <laughs> the shoe was on the other foot. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I mean, but then again, I look at the Falcons game, right? And of course the Falcons are a different beast than, than what the Dolphins would be to the Jets or the Jets to the Dolphins. And I'm thinking last week, if the Dolphins go into overtime as the Falcons are driving down the field, I'm like, I don't think the Dolphins have any chance to win in overtime because one, the Falcons would have all the momentum going. They're the home team. The crowd would get very loud. But then you could draw uh, parallels to the Dolphins and, and saying, you know, but then, you know, the Todd Bowles could be saying, if I go into overtime with this team, there is no way I'm going to win on the road because the Dolphins are going to have all the momentum. It's going to be very, very hard. So, I mean, I could, I guess I could understand it, but at the end of the day, I, I still think he should have sat on the ball, backed up that close to his own goal line especially because the Dolphins had really turned it around after playing like absolute crap the first half and part of the third quarter. How, what, what, what were your reactions to that one play? And then, of course, as the game evolved going after halftime to the end of the game. For me, I was ecstatic, man. When Bobby McKay made that interception, I was flipping shit. But overall, for me, I'm just impressed with how the offense played, whether Cutler was in there or whether Moore came in. Uh, offensive line was banged up, and J.H.I. wasn't able to get much of anything on the ground. I think 23 carries for 51 yards. So even with that run game uh, being lackluster, J.H.I. not being able to find the holes due to the offensive line, the offense produced, and they produced a lot. So, I mean, they scored 31 points, 17 in the fourth quarter. That's all you can ask for from a team banged up, resilient bunch, and this is kind of what we come to expect from Adam Gase's offense. I mean, we play like shit in the first half, and they just seem to find a way to win. and. They just continue to do it each and every week. Uh, they're four and two right now. Maybe they're not the greatest four and two team in the history of the NFL, but you gotta love what the Dolphins are doing, and you gotta love the direction this offense is headed. Right, you're right. The Dolphins are four and two, and there's their best record after six games since the 2003 season. They will now head to Baltimore, as we mentioned plenty of times on Thursday evening in a prime time football, the color rush game. Dolphins wearing all white. Tony Romo on the call for CBS is going to be very interesting and insightful to hear his analysis on Jay Cutler versus Matt Moore and all the different formations the Dolphins are bringing out against the Baltimore Ravens. Now, with this tape version, we do have a new thing called the Finsider Mailbag. It is a thread up on thefinsider.com. If you didn't get a chance to look at it today or this week, then make sure you look at it next week because submit your questions. We will answer. So how it's in Sutton. What questions do we have for us this week on the Finsider Mailbag? Uh, NSL5 asks, if Tunsil can't go, does Davis or Sam Young play left tackle? I'll throw that one to you, son. So it looks like Jesse Davis is going to step in at left guard for Anthony Steen, who's going to be out for this game. It looks like it's going to be business as usual with everybody else. Tunsil, we were a little bit scared about his knee, but it looks like it was minor. He's going to be able to play on Thursday. Pouncey's going to be able to play. Bushrod James, same business as usual. 
I'm not saying they have an easy task with that front four. Clyde Christensen said in his press conference that this might be the biggest challenge of Tunsil's career going against Terrell Suggs. I think we might agree with that. He's having an incredible year for the Baltimore Ravens. And then if Brandon Williams comes back healthy, we know what he can do as a nose tackle. So this offensive line is going to have its hands full, but we're going to have most hands on deck. All right. Anything else in the Finsider mailbag? I was going to ask the question from 39 is number one about the endangered animal eating the endangered plant. What would we do? Depends on the animal and the plant, right? Yeah. I'd kill them both. Was that a question to us? I mean, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, we're all biology gurus around here, so we know what's up. Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> Not reading questions off the Finsider mailbag. No, ask, ask us the other one, Houts. All right. Jersey Finn fan asks, I'm both nervous and excited for this game tomorrow. Excited because the Ravens are not what they used to be, and we were, if we were ever to win a game against them, it is now. Nervous because of exactly that. The way they've owned us of late, would it be fitting if they were to have a coming out party against us at home on national TV? Around the horn for you guys, what are the top three things that you – that have to happen for us to win this game. Keep up the great work. What the hell is around the horn? Who is this guy demanding that we go around the horn? <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> Tony, Tony. What the hell is that guy's name? Tony. Uh, uh, I don't know. Tony. Right. All right. Tony. Tony. First of all, you don't tell us what to do on Finsider Radio. Right. <laughs> His name's Tony. All right. <laughs> Second of all, Tony. We will get to your question as we break down the Ravens matchup. We're not going to go into the top three things right now. We will get to that. All right. Any other questions? Cut that that's it. Just, I think just, I think that's it. Yeah, All right. We have questions there. on Twitter right now from Rob Caruth. The next four games for the Miami Dolphins. Well, Rob, the Dolphins play the Ravens on Thursday evening. Then they go on Sunday night versus the Raiders as the Raiders travel to the East Coast to play at Hard Rock Stadium. Then the Dolphins go to Carolina to play the Panthers, and then their bye week is up next. Oh, wait. Never mind. They don't have a bye week. They're playing the Buccaneers uh, at home at Hard Rock Stadium. So for me, Robin, we talked about this in, in depth last week. The NFL is split up into four quarters, right? Just like a game, just like the quadrants, just like the season. And I don't think anyone thought that the Dolphins would be 2-0 and right now, two games into the second quarter of the season. I think the more realistic outcome was 1-1. and taking that L against the Falcons, beating the Jets, and almost could have been 0-2, to be honest with you. But the NFL, and at the end of the day, a win is a win. I honestly do feel in my heart the Dolphins come away with the win against the Ravens. I don't think this Ravens team is as strong as they used to be. They are physical, but I think this Dolphins team has what it takes to match them physically. Now, the Raiders game, they are playing a hard rock, so that's going to help. But the Raiders, we saw them turn on some momentum against the Chiefs on Thursday night last week. So if that momentum continues, if Derek Carr and Amari Cooper can continue to connect, that could be a rough game for the Dolphins. But this is why they play the game. So we'll see. I think a more, I think a realistic outcome is three and one. But I do think, of course, it's always possible to go four and zero. Oh, I'd be shocked if they went two and two and lost to the Ravens on Thursday nights. All right, another one from JT Seymour. He asks, how good does Matt Moore need to play to keep this starting gig? And I don't think any of us know that answer. I don't know what Adam Gase is seeing in Jay Cutler in terms of saying it's his job when he comes back. I don't know everything behind the scenes. I don't know what limitations there are with Matt Moore in terms of Adam Gase and his eyes. So really, I think Matt Moore's already played enough based on one game. 
based on the energy level. But again, we've always said it. Can Matt Moore keep it up as him and get him on tape in the current season? So that's going to be interesting to watch. And then one more from JT. He asks, would you guys eat at a place called Cutler's House of Ribs? Our show is a Texas <laughs> in a desert of Cowboys fans. That, yes. Yes, I would. Abs- absolutely. I'd slather it. I'd slather it in some JGI pickle juice, too. Oh, geez. Yeah. Hang on. JGI pickle juice. All right. Let's shift over to the game against the Baltimore Ravens. And like I mentioned, the Ravens have the Dolphins number. Uh, um, I can't remember. I, I think it was tweeted out the other day. The last time the Dolphins beat the Ravens, and it's a really, really long time. And I will get that exact number for you as we go on here. But, I mean, every time it seems like the Ravens have their number. The Dolphins are 11-8 all-time in Thursday games, but are 3-4 and in games played under the Thursday Night Football package that began in 2006. The Dolphins are six and six all time against the Ravens, and here it is. They're just one and five in their past six matchups. They're zero and three all time at MNT Bake Stadium. So, and I'm not sure if you have post traumatic stress disorder because you were at the Ravens game last year. You you took the trip down, and uh, was it you, son, or was it you, Outs? Uh, no, it was me. It was you. So I, I was right. I'm not losing it. So I don't know if you have PTSD. Son, do you want to talk us through everything you experienced in that game and how it's still impacting you to this day? Yes, I'd love to. Uh, it, this is going to be a form of therapy for me because even on the ride home after that game, I was still kind of lost of what I watched because we got beat 38-6, to six and it was, it was almost the exact same format as the Jets game that I went to this year at MetLife where – anything going in the first half you know Baltimore they came out they went on like a 10 play drive they hit this tight end I've heard of every person in the NFL and they were thrown to a tight end I'd never freaking heard of in my life and he had like 30 yards in the first drive come down score touchdown we go three and out they come back and score another like eight 10 12 play drive and go up 14 nothing just like that, and we just can't muster anything. So I'm just deflated the whole game, have no reason to get into the game. And it's a little bit challenging because Flacco was having a shittier last year, and he dissected us like he was in that playoff run. So it's hard, it's <laughs> hard as a Dolphins fan to wrestle with that because you want to believe that Flacco is down. He sucks. We're going to come in. Our defense is going to play lights out. And this is going to be that low scoring game that Vegas thinks is going to happen as a Dolphins fan though. And knowing how narratives play out with this team, usually the opposite ends up happening. So this game's probably going to be about 35 to 31. Um, And Flacco and Matt Moore will probably throw for 400 yards each. But no, realistically, we have to be able to get their offense under control. And I know we'll get a little bit into more uh, game plan specifics here in a minute, but just kind of generally speaking, we have to be able to make them one-dimensional and make Flacco beat us. And 
on offense, we have to take care of the ball. The Baltimore defense has a, a great front seven. They have some secondary pieces. I know they've been struggling with the run defense, but again, Brandon Williams has been hobbled up. So if he plays in this game, this is not going to be the last ranked rush defense that has been on tape so far. This is going to be a different run defense. So there are going to be some challenges for us. Absolutely, there are. And the Ravens' defense, even though their rush defense is, is ranked towards the bottom of the league, their secondary is very good. No cornerback has surrendered a lower passer rating than Jimmy Smith of the Ravens. He has a 30.5 passer rating allowed. That's number one among cornerbacks in the NFL. Brandon Carr was targeted six times uh, by the Vikings and allowed only three catches for 22 yards. So the Dolphins, even when you consider that Devontae Parker is not playing, Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills are going to have their hands full. I expect this to be a rushing game for Jay Ajayi. I expect this to be a game where the Dolphins try to control the clock and really try to muscle their way forward and get the short passes in, hopefully get the cornerbacks for the Ravens uh, not pressing as much and trying to get those short slants in and, of course, picking their shots when they need to. And that's the, and that's the real difference, just to chime in really quick. When we played Baltimore under Philbin, we're more of a finesse team and when we match up against a physical Baltimore team, they just wreck everything we do. Now we're playing under Adam Gase. We're a little bit more physical this year compared to last year. And I think we're going to be able to match up physicality-wise. And if we can do that, go toe-to-toe with them in that sense, then it's going to be a much more even game, and I think it's going to be one of those games. And clearly we're comfortable with those one-score games considering we've won 12 in a row. Keep this game close and everything will play out in our favor, in my opinion. The Ravens run a 3-4 defense. Uh, Terrell Suggs at the right outside linebacker position. A PFF grade of 84 on the season. You go to the defensive line, Brandon Williams, a score of 85.5. Michael Pierce, both uh, right in the middle there at the nose tackle position, 84.3. Chris Wormley, the only downside on the uh, defensive line, the left end, grade of 46. And then you have a weakness at the left linebacker position, Matthew Judon, a grade of 47.5. But I'm telling you, you know, those three guys, Suggs, Williams, and Pierce. And then you got Mosley. Don't forget about C.J. Mosley there as well up in the middle. And then, of course, their secondary. And and even though Eric Weddle has a grade of 45.8, Eric Weddle is a great ball player. He is an instinctive ball player. And then you got Tony Jefferson right across from him. Houts, if you're the Miami Dolphins, what is your game plan on offense to attack the Ravens? Yeah, you guys both touched on it, and you're reading off those PFF grades, and I'm kind of a bit surprised. I think I heard earlier in the day that Baltimore's defense is allowing 146 yards on the ground per game. And, uh, I mean, just like every other game this year, the Dolphins' main game plan each and every week should be to get J.J. the football. He hasn't quite had those breakout games that we saw in 2016, but he, he's a playmaker. He's one of the best in the NFL, and in order for this offense to continue to have the success they are, they need to continue to feed him the football uh, I think we'll see more Damian Williams this week. He's going to be a factor in the passing game. Uh, I'd like to see Matt Moore go out there and sling it around, maybe run some play action straight off, straight off out the gate. But, I mean, overall, you just got to continue to feed J.J. the football and, and just hope that they continue to have the success that other teams have had against the Ravens because on paper, or PFF might not have him ranked that high, but, but that's a very good defense, a very good front seven, and I, I, it's going to be tough. This is a team that's – historically been tough for the Dolphins. I can't ever get that uh, 
wild card playoff game when the Dolphins made it there uh, back when Pennington was the quarterback and they ran all that wild. Wow. Dolphins got their yeah, Dolphins got their ass kicked. I, I will forever hate the Ravens for that game and every game that came after that. So they got to run the football and hopefully Jay Jai can just pound it down their throats because that's the Dolphins' best way to to win this game. J.H., I will need to get it back on in gear. I mean, he's he struggled this year a bit. Uh, you could blame someone on the offensive line, but he just doesn't have that same. I mean, some games he has that burst. Some games he doesn't have that burst. It, it's been an up-and-down year for Jaya for sure. But, Sutton, if you're the Miami Dolphins, what are you looking to do to attack the Ravens? I mean, how it said, we got to get a Jaya – um, we weren't able to do that against the Jets the first two times, and that's our 3-4 barometer, so to speak. So I don't know if it's a schematic thing where we just – it's tough for us to create creases against a 3-4 defense or if it's just the defense itself that the Jets played. But we have to be able to ease the burden on Matt Moore. We can't expect him to come out and throw 45 passes against – one of the best secondaries in the NFL and expect victory here. So we're going to need to get Ajayi going somehow. That's going to open up play action. We've talked about play action all year with this team and how things happen when this team is able to get the running game going, get the play action game going. We know that Matt Moore is more likely to throw the ball down the field than Jay Cutler at this point in the season. So if things are there from play action, we got Kenny still streaking. And it's been really nice. Sorry to backtrack real quick, but it's been really nice to see Kenny Stills get more involved with this offense the last couple of weeks. And this offense just seems to do better spreading the ball around. So I don't know that we need to target Landry specifically. I don't know that we need to target our tight end specifically or anything like that. We just need to get Jai going, spread the ball around, get play action in there, get the ball deep. So they're not getting eight, nine people in the box and see what happens. And we're, we're going to hope that the first half plays out a little bit better than we've seen so far this year and so far under Adam Gase. It would be nice for this team to play with a lead and then be able to get that front four, pin their ears back, and get after Flacco. That game's going to be a whole lot different than when we go down 10 nothing and we're trying to work our – way back on the road against a physical team in the Ravens. We've been highlighting the Ravens defense a ton right now, and we're going to get to the Ravens offense, but the Ravens red zone defense building upon what the Dolphins need to do to even actually get near the end zone. But once they do get to the end zone, what do they need to do? The Ravens red zone defense has been uh, very good this season, permitting a 38.1 touchdown percentage mark, eight touchdowns on 21 drives, which ranks fifth in the NFL. Baltimore has also produced an NFL high, three red zone takeaways tied with the New York Jets. Now the 2017 season, you got the Seahawks at the top, followed by the Bengals and the Raiders and the Chargers, and then, of course, at number five at the Ravens. The Ravens have not allowed a red zone touchdown in two straight games. They've limited their opponents to four field goals in their past four red zone entries, and five field goals in their past six trips over the last three games. The Dolphins don't have a ton of guys that are bigs on the offense, especially with Devontae Parker probably not playing. Kenny Stills, Jarvis Lynch, they'll do their best to get open in the end zone. You got Julius Thomas and Fasano there, but the Dolphins need to make sure they get close enough to that end zone 
where they can give the ball to a giant, just power that ball in. Because if they're at the five, if they're at the 10, it's going to be really rough sledding for them getting into the red zone. So, And how would you attack the Ravens defense when they do get to the red zone? What you've seen out of this team so far is just like you said, get close enough to get JJ to the goal line. But that has not transpired because JJ doesn't have a touchdown yet. What we is passing the ball. You saw the the game against New Orleans Saints when we threw the fade to Julius Thomas and they got picked off. What we've been doing has been a little bit more creative. And I'll go back to the Jarvis Landry play where he came and when they hiked the ball, he stopped on a dime and turned around and came back the other way. And what Adam Gase called this is the slingshot. So when you have, um, sorry, Jarvis Landry creating that jet sweep motion, you see a communication kind of chain of events there where it's getting passed along to different defenders and a different defender then becomes responsible for him. Well, what happened was he came in that motion, that slingshot thing happened, but then when we hiked the ball, he came back around and went the other way. And because the communication had already established, the guy, Kenny Stills to the opposite back pylon, leaving Jarvis Landry wide open. So what you've seen is some creative play calling from Adam Gase at the red zone. And I don't see anything happening outside of that. I think Adam Gase is going to be a creative schemer uh, in the red zone. I think he's seen enough tape of Baltimore to be able to game plan that. Um, You might see Anthony Fasano involved, which you saw him catch a touchdown pass from Jay Cutler. So you can't rule out Julius Thomas. You can't rule out Anthony Fasano. So I think everything's on the board, to be honest with you. I don't think we're going to take anything out of the game plan based on what Baltimore's done so far. I think we're going to choose the plays that we execute better. And speaking of takeaways in the red zone and what the Dolphins need to do in the red zone, the Baltimore Ravens enter week eight. Their plus three turnover ratio ties New England for ninth in the NFL their 15 total takeaways, 10 interceptions, and five fumble recoveries. Ranked number two in the NFL, only behind Jacksonville, 16. And their 10 interceptions ranked number one and tied with Jacksonville in the NFL entering week eight. Just some quick notes on the Ravens and their home record. Under John Harbaugh, before we skip over to the offensive side of the ball, under John Harbaugh, the Ravens are 15-2 and in September home games. And of their past 20 home games in the month of September, that momentum carries over into October and November. They are 17-3 and in November home games, producing the NFL's best record. They've won 15 of their past 17 home games during the month and went 3-0 in 2016. Now, going into December, the Ravens are 14-7 and at home and 34-15 and in such games during their history. So, of course, that doesn't touch on October, but it does show the momentum that they have going from month to month to month. The Ravens are built on their defense. The players openly admit it. The Dolphins' offense will need to find ways to battle them, find holes in their defense, and get on the board. If the Dolphins can get on the board early in the game, 10 points, 14 points, quickly, the Ravens are going to have a very tough time getting back in the game. If the Ravens put up points first 
it's going to be a very tough game for the Miami Dolphins, and they'll be battling back probably most of the way. Now, on the Ravens' offensive side of the ball, quarterback Joe Flacco in 2016 set a Ravens' single-season franchise record for passing yards for 4,317. Joe Flacco this year, though, not doing as hot. He's really struggling uh, this season. I don't know what is, is happening with him. I don't know if he's hurt, if there's an injury that we aren't aware about, if there's just you know not enough cohesiveness in the Baltimore Ravens offense. But how it's in what you've seen in your study time and in what you've seen around the league just by watching the NFL games, how would you, you know, look at the Ravens and, and kind of analyze, you know, what they haven't been able to do this year? For me, it just seems offensively as a unit, most particularly in the passing game, they just seem to be struggling. I know they have some injuries to the wide receivers, but ultimately for, to me, it just seems like their run games are bread and butter. And in order for Miami to win this game, I think they got to shut down uh, Buck Allen and that that Ravens run game because to me, that's, that's where the game's going to come down to. I mean, you, you kind of think that, oh yeah, Baltimore struggled in the passing game, but this could be a game where they end up doing the complete opposite. And you could see Joe Flacco tearing up this defense, this secondary, but but ultimately it's going to come down to the run game. And I know Terrence West is out, so that means uh, Buck Allen's going to take over most of that that role there as their, their primary running back. So for me, you just got to shut him down. The The defense got to play. Uh, they, they just got to be more um, more sound in their game and in their technique. They got to they gotta play – to their strengths because last week we saw what happened when the defense was out of position we saw those big screen plays that we talked about earlier and the Dolphins just can't let those big plays happen they got to contain the, the Ravens run game and I think after that uh everything will play itself don't forget about running back Alex Collins a, a phenomenal not phenomenal I guess that's too strong of a word a good player coming out and starting to shine a little bit some questions with ball security PFF grade of 58, but he is much, uh, he's a much better player than that. Explosive and can break out at any time. Now, the Ravens' offensive line is, is pretty good. You know, their left tackle, Ronnie Stan Stanley, coming in at 81.4. James Hurst at left guard, 44.2. Ryan Jensen in the center at 82. Jermaine Ulamunor, I think that's how you say his name, at 39.3. That's definitely not how you say his name. We're going to go with it. Austin Howard, <laughs> the right tackle, at 76.8. Ronnie Stanley is the left tackle. If you recall, the Dolphins uh, ended up getting Laramie Tunsil, but the Ravens passed on Tunsil when he fell to them. And I think everyone and their mother knew the Ravens were going after a left tackle. It was supposed to be Tunsil after the gas mask video came out with the drugs before the draft. They picked Stanley, and Stanley's having himself a pretty nice campaign thus far. He will go up against William Hayes and Charles Harris and sometimes Cameron Wake as well. For you, Sutton, looking at the Ravens' offensive line, what's your key to attacking them with the Dolphins' defensive line? Yeah. What was it that Cam Wake said, that every tackle is a weakness to him and that he's just going to dominate him no matter what? So no matter how Ronnie Stanley and Austin Howard are playing at tackle for the Ravens, I really like our matchup in the front four. Specifically, though, and I see a lot of similarities to our own offensive line where we've seen some – very good play from Tunsil and Juwan James, and then some lackluster play. Maybe a little bit inconsistent, but comparatively to the guards, the guards have had much worse years so far. And you see the same thing playing out with the Baltimore Ravens. You see the guard plays just atrocious, according to the PFF grades. 
So you have to like the defensive tackle rotation that we have right now. We got Sue, we got Godshaw, we got Taylor, we got Phillips back. Those guys are playing at a pretty pretty high level right now. So I think and, – and we're not going against Marcus Mariota this weekend or anything like that. We're going against Joe Flacco, who has some mobility issues. So if we can wreck the interior of that pocket, we are going to disrupt the timing of the whole passing game. We're going to make some plays. I'd like to get some turnovers in there, obviously. But I think what Hout said, making them one-dimensional, stopping their running game is going to be huge. But I think what's different about this year compared to last year where we were talking so much about we have to stop the run, we have to stop the run, we've demonstrated this year that we can stop the run. We're one of the best run defensive teams in the entire NFL. So I'm not as confident uh, with our front seven stopping the run here. And in this particular situation on a Thursday night game where game plans are a little bit not watered down, that's the wrong term, but there's just not as much time to get the preparation necessary um, to get the familiarity with what you're supposed to do. So you're going to end up leaning on some of your, your, your own tendencies and just kind of relying on yourself in these types of games. And I like where our run defense is at, so I think we will be able to make them one-dimensional. And I think we've already seen that we're going to be able to disrupt the pocket and last year, what we didn't have, and what I saw off coverage, and we've talked this as Dolphins fans, seeing Byron Maxwell 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, seeing Xavier Howard 10 yards off the line of scrimmage. What I believe we will see in this game are the cornerbacks playing closer to the line of scrimmage because we know that pass rush will get there. What we need to do is eliminate those dropbacks where Flacco only needs a second to get rid of the ball and there's already separation between a wide receiver and a cornerback. So we tied up that coverage initially. We're going to make it harder on Flacco's decision process there. And I think through some press coverage, getting after him with the front four, making him one-dimensional, I really like where our defense is at to shut down this Baltimore offense. And if they do get pressure on Joel Flacco, it's going to impact his ability to get the ball to his receivers. One receiver we're all very familiar with, Mike Wallace, in the concussion protocol as of yesterday. Questionable. No! Sorry, I had to. I had to get it Scared out. Scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I, I thought that was the podcast going on. I was startled. For a second. Damn. All right, Halsey, you ready now? That scared me, dude. It's yeah. okay, buddy. It's okay. <laughs> Anyways, Mike Wallace in the concussion protocol as of a day ago, officially officially questionable for the game against the Miami Dolphins on Thursday evening. Houts, we know you're a huge fan of Mike Wallace. Give us all your insights on him and the other Ravens receivers. Uh, I was a huge fan of Mike Wallace. I loved the signing when it happened. I really wanted the Dolphins to sign him, and that's further proof that I'm, I'm a moron. So uh, for me – Mike Wallace, I think Brashard Perriman and Jeremy Macklin are all in con- questionable for tomorrow's game. Two of those three are in concussion protocol. So uh, it's going to be a big day tomorrow to find out where those receivers are playing. If they are, the, the secondary could have their hands full because as much as we hate Mike Wallace, he was productive while he was here. Maybe not quite worth anywhere near the money he got, but he was a productive wide receiver, big play threat every time he goes out there. Brashard Perriman, 
Uh, he's got that LeBron James hairline, but at some point he needs to break out. Uh, and then Jeremy Macklin, he's one of the more consistent receivers in the league. I loved him when he was with Philly. Uh, had an off year last season with Kansas City, but ultimately I think Jeremy Macklin could be a difference maker if he decides to suit up for the Ravens. Not only a ton of injuries, just like the Miami Dolphins, Macklin uh, questionable as well for Thursday evening. But one player who won't be suiting up is Michael Campanaro. He is officially doubtful for the game against the Dolphins. So Wallace questionable, Campanaro doubtful. You got Chris Moore on the outside is another wide receiver. You got Ben Watson at the tight end. Uh, Max Williams, the other tight end, is out for Thursday night's game. So the Ravens are, are down on offense, which is why we all said if – the Dolphins get ahead early, they, they should easily win this game because I don't see the Ravens scoring a ton of points. But if somehow the Ravens do get ahead, whether it's by defensive interceptions and poor field position for the Dolphins' defense, then it could be a very long day for the Dolphins' offense as they try to penetrate and get through this stout Ravens' defense. And, and one guy I also forgot was Rashad Perryman. Perryman, he's also questionable who is in the concussion protocol. So it could be that the Ravens are very, very thin at wide receiver going into Thursday night, which would be a good thing because Xavier Howard is improving. Tankersley is a very good ball player as a rookie. Bobby McCain with a huge interception. Rashad Jones, an absolute monster. Nate Allen struggling. We cannot wait for Teach McDonald to come back after the game against the Buccaneers. Lawrence Timmons, man, what a pickup that's been for the Miami Dolphins. He is an absolute asset. Thank God he decided to come back to the team he is an absolute stud. Kiko Alonso, you know, up and down, but let's hope he uh, got out of his bad habits from last week and plays more disciplined football this week against the Baltimore Ravens. Otherwise, it'll be like last year where the Ravens are just throwing pass after pass to their tight ends up the middle of the field. All right, so we got Matt Moore. We got Jay Ajayi. We got our guys on the outside still as Landry, Fasano, and Thomas. We know the Dolphins are going to go into more heavy sets with Fasano, Thomas, and Marquise Gray rotating in and out there sometimes. Two of them being on the field at the same time, the Dolphins seem to favor that personnel package over the past several weeks. Can Matt Moore connect with the receivers? We saw a uh, connection there with Stills. We saw a connection there with Landry. House, I'm going to let you tackle Landry, and I'm going to let you tackle Stills. So, House, before we wrap up the show, let's just focus on these receivers. House, Jarvis Landry, what impact has Matt Moore had in terms of Jarvis Landry's production moving forward? Uh, I mean, this is one of Landry's better seasons since he's been on the Dolphins. So I think whether it was Jay Cutler or Matt Moore, Cut, uh, Landry's, he's balling out this season. He already has three touchdowns. Uh, should have had two more earlier in the season. And, I mean, he's just everything you could ask for in a wide receiver. The Dolphins are starting to get creative with him. Adam Gase is starting to use him in motion, like Sutton said earlier. I think you called it a slingshot play. I mean, they're they're making ways to to get Jarvis Landry the football, and that's kind of what you want to see from the playmaker. And with Devontae Parker out, Landry's going to have to continue that success. He's already one of the best slot receivers in the NFL. Uh, you saw, I think it was very shortly after Matt Moore came in, he threw that back shoulder down downfield. And if Landry gets that single coverage, I do expect Moore to continue to feed him the rock. Uh, Landry's just going to get better as the season progresses. And uh, he's one of my favorite players, and I'm excited to see what he does with Matt Moore moving forward. All right, son, how about Kenny Stills and the impact that Matt Moore had on him? We saw it immediately when Matt Moore came in the game. Absolutely, and the, the first touchdown pass that he had to Kenny Stills was one of those anticipation throws where he wasn't out of his break yet, 
and you saw some good timing there, which is important for a backup quarterback who's not getting all the reps during the week. So to have that sense of timing with Kenny Stills already, we saw him last year late in the season at MetLife where Matt Moore targeted Kenny Stills and had a big touchdown uh, down the field. So I would anticipate that same narrative plays out that we'll be looking to for Kenny Stills to be our, our deep target here, our, our deep play threat. We saw him make some plays last week. He does have a di- more difficult matchup, and it's hard to tell what the Ravens will do if they'll have Jimmy Smith uh, match up with Kenny Stills exclusively, if he'll match up with Jarvis Landry exclusively, or if he will kind of bounce back and forth. So I think it really depends on who Jimmy Smith is matched up with because Jimmy Smith, I think, has entered into a top 10 cornerback uh, in the NFL. So I think that's going to be a tough matchup regardless. But what Kenny Stills does without, and this is assuming Devontae Parker doesn't play, which I don't believe we know that. I believe he's listed as questionable. So he could play, and I believe he did log some practice today. So that remains to be seen. But if he doesn't play, Kenny Stills is our main deep threat. And we've already talked about how it opens up this offense. So even if Kenny Stills is just a decoy in this game, he's going to play in a very important function in the game plan. All right, yeah. And, I mean, you have we've all hit the nail on the head with all of these different breakdowns with the offensive line, defensive line, cornerback safeties wide receivers, running backs, everything that we could possibly think of. But one point that we don't need to mention very quickly is special teams. And the Dolphins' special teams has been a huge, huge asset to the team this year. Great kickoff coverage, great punt coverage, except a few things here and there. But Cody Parkey, man, what a Mr. Automatic that guy is. Wow. He's been an absolute stud. He may have his hands full on Thursday night against the Ravens if it's a problem for the Dolphins' offense to move the football against a tough Ravens defense. But, man – it's no wonder why Darren Rizzi has been through numerous coaching changes here in Miami. The guy is a great coach. The guy knows his stuff. And the Dolphins special teams has won several games for the Miami Dolphins this year. And so we'll be looking forward to watching how that all plays out. But this game may come down to special teams. This game may come down to anything, let's be honest. It may come down to rushing the football. It may come down to playing good defense. It may come down to special teams. You never know in the NFL. The Dolphins four and two, the Ravens three and four. Dolphins will look to go to five and two, look to push the Ravens to three and five, and put a huge dagger in their playoff hopes. We hope you enjoyed this week's edition of Finsider Radio for House MD and certain the creepy soccer dad. I'm MC Money. Miami we'll talk to you next time on Finsider Radio. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 oh.
O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. O, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.